So hello and welcome to episode 22 of Strangers in a Cinema. I mean, hello strangers. Yeah, you've got it again, man. Hello strangers. Um, I'm here, Pete Wall, he's there, Paul Anderson. We're both pretty tired this evening, I think. We've both just eaten a lot of food, but we're going to get the podcast done anyhow. Um, we're looking forward to it. I am, for one. I quite uh, enjoyed the pizza and that little snippet of Mad Max Fury Road that we <laughs> yeah. watched. So. Watching Mad Max for the, I don't know how many times it's been now, is is still an absolute pleasure. But in 4K UHD Blu-ray. Pete, yeah, it turns I out just one, want of, to quote a little bit here. one of this duo has now decked out his front room with the state of the art everything, it seems like. So now little old me living at home with my rubbish standard Blu-ray player and <laughs> And HD, which is now a thing of the past. I feel High definition now makes me physically sick. Yeah, <laughs> that's it. Like I said to Paul... It's a when, joke, by the way. I wasn't when he, to add, I'm not that much of a dick. <laughs> when you put on the... Uh, what, what, what's the, the clear description here? Ultra HD, 4K... 4K UHD. Yeah, uh, no, Blu-ray. Blu high dynamic range. 4K, high dynamic range. I don't even know what it's called. Right, but the nerds <laughs> right now are listening yeah. in keenly in case you slip up. I've just slipped up. So um, but... Uh, so. Yeah, when he put on a, a demo bit from, from Mad Max, the Fury Road, obviously, the, the newer Mad Max movie, I, I said, I feel like I've got better eyesight than I had before. <laughs> That's how crisp that stuff is. It was a, it was a look into the future, if I'm honest, Paul. And the HDR is quite lovely, isn't it? One, one day I'll get on your level. You know, one day I'll get <laughs> up there. But for now, you know, I'm just going to go on the basic, the retro gear that I've the got on my ass. <laughs> Might as well watch my films on my phone at this point. <laughs> So, um, yes, enough of that. We, yes, certainly enough about that. <laughs> last, last time on the show, episode 21, we'd had a small hiatus of about 10 months. And so we set up a new format in which we took you through a journey of cinema going, let's call it that. Um, from the pop, popcorn counter, easy for me to say, on to um, coming attractions like the trailers that you'd watch before the film. And then the on film. to the sort of the main feature, so right. feature reviews, exactly. which is the main film. Exactly. And finally, we had the credit section last week. Well, I say last week. Last episode is now close to three weeks ago. Um, we talked about Werner Herzog. He's got a new documentary coming out, Lo and Behold, which we're excited about. And actually, is premiere screening, I think everywhere at the same time yeah. right in about a month's time it's slightly yeah. short of a month's time so we're both booked in for that and that's going to be great and we'll obviously talk about it when we have recorded following that that screening for today we're going to stick with the same format starting off with popcorn counter now please let us know you know if you think this section is super cheesy and you want us to change it then we will consider we'll probably ignore but, but we will you, consider if what you, you say, say nothing then we will continue regardless we'll if you say something there is a chance we'll continue regardless anyway yeah but there's also a chance that we might listen there there is some way in which sort of talking into the endless void as we do once every couple <laughs> of weeks is a sort of madness but we enjoy it and we're not going to stop whether you like it or not so um yeah Popcorn counter, man. Get into your local, whatever the name of the cinema is that you most enjoy visiting. Go to buy your popcorn. You've got some options. I think, and we've talked about this today, that in future weeks we might bring in some various and interesting flavours of popcorn. We might bring in some, yes, we might bring in some new flavours of popcorn. We're not going to tell you what those are no, until on the day. So basically, you guys are going to be sitting there when this episode closes, you're going to be like, that might be the most magnificent what? thing and I've that, ever it, heard. It, it, but mind's how could it boggling, get man. How it's going to be like, what, what could they be? I mean, how many flavors? You'll go down the supermarket, you'll check what flavours they actually have, yeah. how that could parlay into our, into our film reviews. But for today, 
We're going to stick with what we did last week, which was one sweet, one salty from each of the two of us here. I'm happy to kick off. Do you want me to go first? You've been talking for a while, haven't you? I reckon I should step in. Yeah, to be fair. <laughs> if you don't stop me, man, I will just... Anyone who's listened to any, like, a handful of these will know that I, I don't like to admit this, but I think I quite like the sound of my own voice. I tend to talk at length with great vigour unless well, someone us, steps in neither of us would do this if we didn't both like the sound of our own voices it's, it's, all it's it something is. I've been accused of on, on many occasions as well so we've got that in common yeah it's so. pure self love this <laughs> thing really isn't it um, but yes Paul kick us off what are you going for you, you're so, getting your popcorn they're, they're putting it in the little paper bag and some of it's falling out on the counter and it's annoying you because you feel like that's not as good value yeah, for money I've paid for that popcorn you don't know how you're going to carry it and open the heavy door that they have on the screen yeah. it's difficult but what flavour have you gone for there? I'm going for sweet popcorn. It's not really a flavour, is it? What variety have you gone sweet for? Popcorn sweet popcorn, popcorn, man. So it's going to be something good, something you like, something that in some way you're positive about. Yes. What is it? I'm going for Popstar, which I believe, and Tell someone me can more. pick me up on this if I'm wrong, is never Popstar, colon, never stop, never stopping. That's correct. Excellent. Factually good. correct. Which is essentially... For anyone who's aware of the sort of comedy pop group run led by Andy Samberg, uh, is the Lonely Island movie. Um, I've always been a fan of Lonely Island. I think they're hilarious. I think they spun off from. I think they, the guys started on Saturday Night Live in some form. Yeah, they've they did, done a load of their songs on Saturday Night Live. Back yeah, in they the times, they so. made a film called Hot Rods years ago, which I absolutely adore. So suffice to say, I was quite excited for uh, the Lonely Island movie. Um, and the fact it's sweet means obviously I've given away whether I whether I've liked it or not. I really enjoyed it. Yeah, but you could say it's it's sickly sweet. It was just too saccharine, and you just couldn't enjoy it. But I don't think that's what you're going to say, right? No, no, no. I really enjoy. I really enjoyed um, pop star never stop, never stopping. Which so I'm this is Andy. This is this. Andy Sandberg. It's that like pointy face one who looks about twenty one, but is actually forty. Yes, like and the then, rest of the band. And yeah. then there's the one who looks about forty, but is actually about thirty. Yeah. It's an interesting mix of people yeah. in there. So it's... and do you know that who Andy Sandberg's partner is now? No. They're married. They've been married for a number of years. Joanna Newsom. What about that? Listeners, shockwaves rippling around the, the world of the but 12 before people. Before we digress into some kind of ce- shitty celebrity gossip magazine, <laughs> I think we should get back to... That's <laughs> <laughs> what I'm all about. That's yeah. what I'm all about. So, pop star, never stop, never stopping. What's the setup, man? Right, the setup is basically Spinal Tap with Lonely Island. and like a, okay. it's, it's kind of like the, the Spinal Tap of pop music. Um... To say that kind of sounds like it's derogatory, it's not really, because the gag rate in Popstar Never Stop Never Stopping is fantastically high. Most of it hits. Um, there is an, I was a bit concerned when they were announced they were working with Apatow on it that they might sort of dial down some of their zaniness. I just mm. said the word zany, but I think that's a pretty appropriate term yeah, for pretty zany, guys. Pretty zany. Um, I thought maybe they'd dial some of that down to just make it appeal to a slightly more commercial audience. They haven't. It's the songs, again, I, I don't know how a comedy act like Lonely Island, if you look at other comedy bands, they tend to burn out quite quickly. Lonely Island still keeps keep managing to throw out funny songs, and the soundtrack is, is no exception. There's some great cameos in it. and I thought about talking about them, actually, I'm not going to ruin them, because there's, there's a lot of really nice cameos in there, and there's a lot of people that I didn't think would send themselves up that actually send right. themselves up quite and well. And the cameos, from where I was standing anyway, sitting, uh, seem as if they're, you know... In good faith, getting involved like they seem to be friends, whatever. Yeah, it doesn't other feel. It doesn't feel like necessarily that Lonely Island are poking fun at them more the industry, and I think that's that's where it kind of it never feels nasty. Although it is, it's, I think it's taking the Mickey out of the pop industry as a whole rather than specific people. 
and it never actually feels nasty it just feels feels sort of more good natured um the plot's fairly generic as you'd expect they they start off something happens he goes he goes on a downer and then they come back at the end that's that's, that's, that's a given really and yeah there's, milk in the you sand. know there's not much original in it but what's there is is very very funny and i would say highly recommended yeah i mean we we talked about this uh, off mic before and um i've seen it too and i like it a lot and i'm with you i support you in your sweet choice the only thing i said was it it felt to me only because of the love i have for this film that it lies slightly in the shadow of Walk Hard, the massively underrated Which Walk Hard. Which is massively underrated and underappreciated as it, well. It really is, man. Like and, and so I suppose to say that it is in the shadow of Walk Hard when I have so much admiration for what, what John C. Riley did with that movie is not really to damn this film at all. It's no, in no, good that's, company. That's the thing. Like, as I said, it isn't original. And you know, to compare it to Spinal Tap, people go, it's the same as... Well, it's, well, it kind of is, but it's still funny, so it doesn't really Well, and when the bar's that high, yeah. right? I mean, Spinal well, yeah. Tap has been beloved for decades. So, yeah, I mean, this thing... I think it's one of those films as well that might... It, given how big Andy Samberg is, and given how big SNL is, and given how big some of his shows and offshoots are, surprisingly, I think it, this might fly under the radar a little bit. So... If people are interested even a little bit, I, if you can I would, find it, go yeah, and see recommend. it. Give it, give it some money in the cinema if you can find it on. What's your um, popcorn choice then? My pick, man. Well, you know, you're talking about sort of zany, goofy comedy music movie. Mm. I've gone with not that because um, <laughs> I'm going for this time, um, one more time with feeling, which is the, the Nick Cave film, isn't the it? The Nick Cave film, yeah. yeah. Um, you'll remember if you've listened to our show with any um, loyalty that. Paul talked about 20,000 Days on Earth, which was the previous documentary all about Nick Cave. Um, and you really strongly recommended it. I've really still to catch it, up yeah. with that. I think actually. it was on my film of the, films of the year list, if I remember right. Right, so, so that's a strong recommend from us already, or at least from Paul's side, and, and I'm sure from me too. And this one is, well, to set up, all that you really need to know is that Nick Cave is releasing a new record. I think it's out now. It's called Skeleton Tree. Um, it comes in the sort of immediate aftermath and wake of the tragic death of his son, who was 15 years old. I believe, I haven't read too much, it's a pretty dark story, but um, he died having experimented with LSD and fell from a cliff somewhere in the UK, possibly Brighton, but I'm not sure about I think that. it was Brighton. If I remember um, it, yeah. yeah, so obviously when you're in the presence of a creator like Nick Cave, who's already you know, produced, produced music all his career that's shot through the sort of sadness and pathos, and you add into the mix the events that have happened to him in the recent past, you're not going to get any anything other than a very, very sombre film mm. about the process of creativity and also the process of creativity for a man who is really struggling to see where he gets creative sort of spark from at this point. Because, yes, we all need difficulties and tra possibly even tragedies in our life to um, energise the creativity in, in a lot of artists throughout history. However, he makes clear in this film, it, it stopped him. If anything, it just stopped his creative juices flowing and he didn't really feel like he had anything to say because it would seem almost trite to try and say anything about something of that magnitude. Do right? you think it continues what 20,000 Days started, which kind of humanises this kind of sort of mythical, legendary character? Because in a lot of people's eyes, he's almost as revered as Bowie to a lot of people, I would say. Yeah, it, within a particular indie set, I think you're yeah. right about that. And <clears throat> yeah, he... He is a guy that has this aura about him. I mean, he's very tall, he's got a large stature. He doesn't give too many interviews. He's fairly, I wouldn't say reclusive, but he's fairly difficult to um, to get in touch with, it seems like, in, in press terms. And so this film, yeah, he 
he presents himself and how much of it is is for the camera i don't know but he presents himself as you say like someone who isn't interested in having a sort of mystique around him and he's just you know talking about himself as he is just any other person which mm. is what which is what he is essentially other than being a very talented yeah. musician and songwriter so we get to see him in the studio um beautifully shot with uh, both 3d and 2d cameras in black and white working particularly closely with warren ellis who is the incredibly well-bearded man that he often <laughs> collaborates with also on uh, the soundtrack to hell and high water which we'll talk about a little bit later on and yeah uh, it's it's an intensely interesting and pretty moving piece of work and the filmmaker here is Andrew Dominic, who directed. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Chopper. Yeah, Chopper and, and yeah. Killing Them Softly, which I yeah. know split opinion, but I really back in twenty twelve thirteen, I think. Um, I really really like. No, I really like Killing. I have a lot of time for Andrew Dominic, so to see him back behind the camera again, working on this, um, yeah, you've got so much quality involved mm. in this film that yes, it's sad. Yes, it's difficult. Yes, some of it's going to move you. Some of it's going to make you feel maybe a little bit low. But I think overall, you you're willing to go on that journey because Nick Cave comes across as such a sort of honest and in, in such honest and confessional form here. So yeah, not it's not going to give you the uplift that something like Popstar is. No, Maybe watch this though. first, watch that second yeah. <laughs> to lift the uh, the, the lift storm clouds. But yeah, another strong recommend for me on on this one. And again, search it out. It might not be as easy to come by. I had to go to a special screening, but. Yeah, look it up. That's one more time of feeling the Nick Cave movie. That's not a subtitle, by the way. The no, Nick Cave not movie. Not colon the Nick. Not like never stop, never stopping. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, so you've got another pick here, Paul, and I'm thinking that this has got to be salty. It so is salty. Um, it is indeed salty, um, but not because I didn't like the film. Just because, as Pete, when Pete introduced this last week, it's something that you know is is a bit awkward or you know leaves can leave a bit of a bitter taste. Um, mm. It's a documentary that I've been meaning to catch up with for literally, I'm going to say at least 10 years, because I think it's probably older than that. It could be, yeah, yeah. it's got to be around that, I think. Um, it's a documentary called Capturing the Freedmans, um, which I imagine quite a lot of people listening to this have probably seen when I hadn't seen it, in fairness. Um, it's a superb documentary. I think the the sort of central the central concept of it, you've got this... This, I think the idea was they were going to make a documentary about a guy that was like a children's entertainer and a clown. Hmm. And then when they re- the, when the guy making the film realised that this guy's family were involved in this kind of very creepy and sort of dark paedophilic scandal, the guy's father, you know, was accused of doing certain things as a teacher and then his brother was accused of doing certain things, certain things to these kids as well. Hmm. And it turns out that the dad did do something and confessed to certain things, but did he do other things? It's so such a well-put-together documentary that by the end of it you really don't know what to think you know something's up but you know you also you know something's up but you also know that some of the crimes that these guys have been accused of are just so ridiculous mm. so ridiculous that they couldn't have happened and then but the way it's it's so well structured and this is the thing I've always said about documentaries documentary can only ever be a certain reflection of the truth because to make it entertaining it needs to be structured in a narrative way and it's always subjective yeah. to, and it's to like the class it's like the classic kind of bait and switch where you go oh no now I've decided they didn't do it and then boom 
someone comes in and you go, or did they? Yeah. And then it's like, or did they? Or did they? And it goes from there to there, but it does it so well. Yeah. Well, I mean, so well. I mean yeah, the, the points that you're making tie absolutely to the most phenomenally successful documentary of recent times, which is Making a Murder. Well, as right? I said, when I, when I watched it, I had to check to see if it was the same team because Capturing the Freedmen, it's not as it happens, but Capturing mm. the Freedmen's felt like like a prototype, like a dry run for Making a Murderer. The, and the way it's structured and the way you're like, oh, now you have sympathy. Did they do it? Did they do this? Did they do that? And the way it just, and it's almost a perfect documentary because it really, really does let you make up your own mind and you really do not know what and, to think. And, and you've kind of touched on it there, but a, a big hook with this film or a, a sort of a unique point about Catherine the Freedmans, of course, is that you've got this embedded film, right? Because you've got a member of the yeah. family filming in real time what's going on in that family, which and is that incredibly is very rare. weird. Incredibly like the, rare. Yeah, so just to, just to go a little bit further on that. So when the family were going through all this court case and stuff, this one of the sons who's featured in the documentary was filming all the family discussions. So they've got all this footage to, to put into the film. Now, I find that bizarre myself, but I suppose it, it could be therapeutic for for the for the people watching. Certainly, it makes for a fascinating documentary, and it's you know it's a great uh, thing for them to be able to use in the documentary. Mm. It does add to the film, but yeah, it's a it's a bizarre film, and if you haven't seen it, absolutely seek it out. Yeah, well, it's funny because I've just been talking to you uh, an hour ago or something about Holy Hell, which I saw this week, mm. which I'm not going to go into, but the the hook there as well is that you've got a guy who joins a cult that happens to be filming mm. and stays with that cult for like 20 years. It's on there. And you kind of think, well, actually, why are they filming then? It, it, yeah. use, and he has sort of a reason to, but what you get then is whether the film is of great or, or lesser quality, you have this insight into a world that you wouldn't usually get because mm. usually the, the filmmakers are looking from the outside in and you don't know how much access they're actually getting in Capturing the Freedmans that you're, you're recommending here you've got an access that you really wouldn't expect and it's almost uncomfortably close to, it's a to very un, it's a very uncomfortable film in places but it's, it's almost kind of, almost a sort of salty flavor to it yes. i mean we're not going to make any weird inappropriate jokes no about, no i have considered those but no moving on <laughs> talking about a uh, weird this is a perfect segue weird and inappropriate jokes i'm gonna go salty on my choice which is sausage party I'm no. I, it looks so good in the trailer. Yes, it it did, Paul, <laughs> and I think the reason for that might be that they've taken the two or three quite good bits, like the uh, the Irish voiced potato having his skin peeled off. Oh, I'm, I'm, that yeah, I'm trailer, genuinely, genuinely upset that I think that like part that. may have been the only laugh, only full bodied laugh that I experienced in the entire film. Um, I'm not even going to dignify this with too long of a review. To be fair, <laughs> I am happy. If you enjoyed it, whoever is listening to this and has seen it and disagreeing with me straight away, for me, you've got, we know the setup right here. This is the Seth Rogen, um, like Judd Apatow is involved, I presume, as an exec producer or something like that. Yeah, Seth Rogen and all of the Seth Rogen people in a recording booth thinking that they are saying the funniest shit you could imagine because they are characters based on foodstuffs in a supermarket who go on a plot to seek enlightenment. Oh, come on, honey. it did look funny. It, it, I thought the concept looked good in the trailer. You're, yeah, exactly, the concept looked good yeah, in the trailer. It it's did look good it's in the funny trailer. that the bit of advertising trying to convince you to go to a film makes said product look quite well, good. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, the whole conceit here is that they want to know about the, I can't even remember what it's called, the, the bright place or something, like what is outside of the supermarket. supermarket like Toy Story did quite well I don't know for example um, they well, wanna, are out for this aren't they I they want to know that but but to me like these guys it's like everything is just so on the nose and obvious like you, they get out and in one scene there's a guy who does crystal meth but they like play it for laughs and then uh, it, just the, the, the 
the racial stereotypes that abound throughout are supposed to be sort of at arm's length because they're somehow ironic and distanced. Um, the sexual innuendo is very, very obvious and they obviously think it's hilariously funny. They finish the film with a with a food orgy, which on paper sounds great. When you're baked, I'm sure is hilarious, but in an actual a film that stretches hour and a half plus, I, I, I was so tired, Matt. I was so <laughs> tired and I started to just feel a, a sense of sort of depression just sweeping over me about the, the fact that we live in a time where this is the forefront of comedy that we can be produced. And, you know, you, you've just reviewed Popstar and Popstar for me had a lot of moments that made me genuinely laugh. I enjoyed it. It's not my favourite film of the year, but I enjoyed it a lot. This thing, though, if this is the best that we can do is go like, imagine a sausage is like a penis and it goes in a, a bun that's like a vagina. Like, See, no. You, I'm going to giggle a little bit there. Yeah, <laughs> and, I, and I wouldn't judge you for that, man. I, I wouldn't. But for me, it just it just left me so, so cold and feeling that, that all of their, a lot of the writing is actually quite spiteful and it is setting a, a standard for what we laugh at as a society that... I don't think it's particularly useful to anyone. Mm. Now, I'm taking it too seriously, and I feel older than I've ever felt saying all this stuff. <laughs> but, yeah, it's genuinely the way I felt about Sausage Party, not for me whatsoever. So after that heated last trip to the popcorn counter there, that brings us to... We're in the cinema now, and we're going to do... We did this last week, we're doing it again. We're yeah. in the cinema, we're waiting excitedly, we've got through all the crappy adverts... Boom, coming attractions. Coming attractions, yeah. You get in there just in time so you miss out all the adverts and hopefully don't have to look at Kevin Bacon. And uh, then, then you've got some trailers. So, yeah, as we did last time, just something that we're excited about, each of us, that is coming up probably in the not-too-distant future. So you can get geared up for it right now. Paul, what have you got? Passengers. Ooh, what is it? Uh, it's a sci looks like a sci-fi thriller uh, with Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, two of Hollywood's most ugly people. Whoa. What did I read about Chris Pratt today? This is the most boring anecdote I've done. Chris Pratt very politely reprimanded a, a fan for uh, cursing him out in an airport when he tried. Like, even when Chris Pratt is, like, getting mad with someone, he does it in quite a polite way. <laughs> Lovely man. Wish him success. So, what this looks like... I also wish Chris Pratt success. Yes. <laughs> what this film looks to be is a sort of sci-fi thriller... Looks like they're on a, like a long space journey, possibly repopulating a planet. I wasn't paying that much attention in the trailer, but it kind of well. If you were going to repopulate with someone, J Law, that would be a you know right Jennifer up there. Lawrence, but yes, right up there. Yes. Um, <laughs> so yes, so they wake up. They're in cryo sleep. They wake up early. Uh oh, shit seems to hit the fan. Now I'm very intrigued by this. I'm not convinced it will be that good because Tyler Mortonham's directing and I thought Imitation Game, which I'm sure he directed, mm. and again, correct me if I'm wrong, I thought that was incredibly overrated, but regardless... Correct um, him even if he's not wrong, to be honest. It'd be yeah. quite funny. Well, yeah. He's got corrections fairness, every yeah. week. I can't, I'm a big sci-fi fan. It looks kind of cool. I'm a bit worried they don't really know what they're doing with it because they're releasing a sci-fi film that seems to be around the same time as Star Wars. Yeah, so. that's what you were saying, which seems like an odd choice, but maybe it's to pick up on the kind of wave of, of sci-fi people who are going to be going to the cinema anyway. But Chris Pratt and Jennifer Lawrence, very likable leads. And bankable, um, very bankable. Yeah. Like, I hate to talk about films in those terms, but it is absolutely true. So, yeah, Passengers, have, have, check out the trailer. Okay, I'm keen. I haven't seen the trailer yet, so I will. Um, for me, this time, there are just certain elements you put them together and I'm absolutely in. So, uh, the first element... Is that it, documentaries and documentaries? or Yes. Document, <laughs> there's a documentary about documentary filmmaking. <laughs> uh, it's uh, available only in... Uh, um, in Farsi 
and um, you can't get it anywhere. But I'm actually, I'm going to be actually, actually watch it. I'm going to be watching someone live tweet their <laughs> experience of it now. It, it's one of those things. It is, although uh, there's a Farsi link actually. It's uh, Anna Lily Amirpour who is the Iranian-American director who directed A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night. The film I, I still haven't seen. That I <laughs> liked a lot and talked about, I believe, on this here show. Um, yeah, so whatever she was going to do next, I was going to be excited for. And this, this is the sort of tagline slash press note for the film. It is a love story among a community of cannibals in the Texas wastelands. I'm in. Yeah, I, I'm absolutely in. Um, then you look at the cast list for this film, and the first name that, that cropped up was... Jim Carrey. Now, I wouldn't necessarily put all these elements together with Jim Carrey, but we'll see. He's tried to sort of branch out in various ways over the years. We've got Keanu Reeves, who is now your sort of go-to creep bag, scumbag guy, it seems, isn't it? It's sort of late career reinvention of Keanu Reeves. Um, then, yeah, because Neon Demon, which we'll talk about another time, but he crops up in that. Uh, Diego Luna's in this and Giovanni Ruiz is in this. So it's a pretty strong cast, but... With the exception of Keanu. <laughs> Oh, bless him. He's sad a lot of the time, isn't he? There's difficult events in his life. I like him all right, but his facial hair is like a bit concerningly perfect. That's the only thing I've got against him. Uh, yes, really the director had me, you know, you had me at that director. And then when you throw in Cannibals and Texas Wasteland, yeah, all over it. So that one's coming out, I think, in around a month or so's time, whether it'll get wide relief, re- release. So the trailer's up, is it, at the moment? I believe there is a trailer. I don't think I've seen a trailer. To be honest, at this point, we've talked about this before, but like I'm kind of done with with looking at too many trailers before films. Yeah, come we out. did. Yeah, we did. I'll, I'll see them here and there. And like when you recommend one, you know, I'll look it up. But um, yeah, I, I don't need much to convince me to go. I just hope it gets wide enough release that people get to see this. Mm. Um, oh, and the name of the film that would be useful, wouldn't it? It would be. Yes. It's uh, it's called Bad Batch. So that would be um, okay. Anna Lily Amirpour's Bad Batch coming out to a probably indie cinema in london anytime soon boom look at that that is one of the most concise sections we've ever done fantastic concise and we've stayed almost entirely on message well well now we've done well let's roll into a a five-hour breakdown of our two feature films (laughs) today we are i think in agreement that we're going to do a double feature because there are two films that we've both we've seen a number of films with both of us the last couple of weeks but two films we've both seen and figured that it would be worth talking about with yep. a little bit more detail Paul what is one of those which one do you want to go with first of all I think we're going to start with Hell or High Water okay uh, which is David McKenzie it is correct yeah David McKenzie of Startup fame but also um, going back a little bit Young Adam I think is the first thing I've seen that he directed I did not know he directed Young Adam uh, and, I really enjoyed Young Adam and a, a little gem I, you may well have seen this uh, Hallam Foe I haven't seen Hammond Hammond Fo. Fo. Young Adam's good. With, with, seen with Jamie Bell and uh, and uh, what's the name of her? Claire Forlani. Do you know Claire Forlani? Yes, I remember yeah, Claire Forlani. Yeah, Claire Forlani was like an early crush of mine, I think, when I was in my teenage years. And then she cropped up again opposite Jamie Bell, who now like is an actor I, I really, really like, but I can't get the images from Nymphomaniac out of my head. So, um, yes, Hello High Water. So, so Hello High Water, starring Chris Pine, Ben Foster and Jeff Bridges. It's... Would you say it's a revisionist Western, Pete? Um, I don't know if revisionist is the word I use. It, it's sort of a, it's sort of a, a a contemporary tale of a Western sort of in, infused landscape that has all of the tropes of Western films. So a revisionist ha- Western. Ha- but revi- revisionist, I'm not sure that it's revising something as much as it is looking back on something and okay. 
and is sort of informed by those things. I, I don't know. So I think it? kind of like, well, No Country for Old Men will mm. probably come up more than once in this discussion. Um, I think that kind of th- think that kind of um, thing. It's got a, an in- interesting central hook in the story, which we won't go into too much at risk of spoiling. Yeah, it. I mean, I, I can um, set but, it up briefly if you want. I mean, I've just just a, a quick yeah. note for anyone who, who's just seen maybe a, the trailer yeah. or the title or something like that. So Chris Pine that you mentioned is a divorced guy. Um, he and his brother team up. His brother's an ex-con played by... Ben Foster. ben Foster, thank you very much. Crazy Ben Foster in full crazy for a lot of this movie. Um, they team up to knock over a series of banks, that are all branches of one bank, that ha- are threatening to repossess the home of their soon-to-be deceased mother. Of course, Chris Prine... Ick, Chris Prine... Chris Pine here is the inexperienced, um, slightly more naive of the two in terms of doing crimes, whereas his brother seems to have his head screwed on and know what he's doing and knows how to handle a gun and whatnot. Um, from there, we set off with these guys and see sort of how that all pans out for them. It's also, I think, important to note, though, at this point, that the writer of the movie is Taylor Sheridan, who wrote Sicario recently, which yes, is, which uh, again, rooted yeah. in very strong sense of place, Yes, right? What did you like so much about Hello High Water? Or I don't know. I'm jumping the gun. Did you like Hello High Water? Yes, but I expected to like it more than I did. Okay, it's one of those films where I kind of I, went, I only went to see it a couple of nights ago, so I think I've seen it a bit more recently. And I kind of came out going, "Oh, we we're going to talk about that on the podcast." And I kind of came out of it going, "But what is there really to say about it?" I mean, mm. there's a lot of good in there. That I think the writing's good. I think Chris Pine and Ben Foster have great chemistry. It's nice to see Chris Pine. Uh, in a more challenging role for him although despite the fact they give him length greasy hair it's impossible to make Chris Pine ugly he's a phenomenally um, attractive I think he's more attractive in this film now that he's got a bit of facial hair and stuff but like I know so there's elements that I like that actually because a lot of films you have like beautiful leading men and, and leading ladies and no one comments on their looks part of the bits of Hello High Water that I liked is actually other characters do observe that mm. they're looking at a guy that looks like Chris Pine which is quite nice and it, it all feels very believable the, the to and fro in between Chris Pine and Ben Foster I thought was great. I thought their chemistry was absolutely superb. You've got Jeff Bridges as Tommy Lee Jones. <laughs> but again, that's not bad. Jeff Bridges being Jeff Bridges, he's obviously enjoying himself. Oh, he himself. has a he's great a time, doesn't he? Yeah. Isn't this it's one of the best things I've ever seen Jeff Bridges do? At yeah. least later Jeff Bridges. Yeah. This was a real treat. I mean, he, he really um, revels. He's, a, he's having the time of his life in yeah. the role of this sort of cantankerous sheriff virgin on retirement that actually you know does knows a lot more than always he seems to know, sniping yeah. at his partner and yeah. making slightly off off uh base remarks about his ethnicity and things but then he's their relationship is shot through with this sort of loyalty that comes out later in the film and yeah we won't spoil that but and, I th- and the thing is you know that all sounds that all sounds very positive and for the most part it, it's it's a solid film but it just never grabbed me the way I thought it would grab me. It's it's an enjoyable film. It's it's well made. But I you know I saw the trailer. I was expecting better. Mm. And I think the problem with a film like this is, and I mentioned it earlier, is that no country for old men exists. Mm. And I think through no fault of Hello High Water, because as I said, and I will reiterate, it's a solidly made film. No Country for Old Men is just so good that when you watch some anything either even faintly resembles it, you start to think. Oh, this isn't quite as good as No Country for Old Men. Yeah, I mean, do you, do you think that's sort of that we've been spoilt by that film in the sense that No Country for Old Men has a sort of kinetic thrust that this film doesn't have? And it has a sort of heightened, and you could say more 
cinematic sense about it in the terms of the way that the Anton Chigurh character is like such a larger than life mm. figure. Whereas in this, what you've got is, it, I, I'm kind of on board with you and, I, and I, I'm fighting against it because I want to say like, I like it more than you do and I'm not actually sure that I do. I think that... No, don't get me wrong. It's not that I didn't like it. I just thought I would like it more. And that's what I mean. Yeah. I, I think I'm kind of there. I, I think there are so many beautifully rendered elements of this film. Like the the cinematography is gorgeous. Yeah. The way that they capture West Texas is is fantastic and, and lingers in the mind, you know. And, and it's just such a an enjoyable experience to to travel around with these guys. The acting is pretty much a standard, really really strong mm. in in this film as well. Oh, and, and one thing I wanted to throw in just whilst we're here is um, the T-bone steak waitress because this yes. was probably my yeah. highlight of the entire film. <laughs> a wonderful. Uh, I wrote I wrote her name down. Um, Margaret Bowman is the actress. Okay. I don't know. She's been in a hundred, two hundred things as cameo characters over the years, but yeah. she might be listening. Yeah, what she what don't what don't you want is is my takeaway line from this yes. movie. Um, yeah, but I think I basically fall into a fairly similar position as you, where like it's yeah, well shot, well made, uh, well edited, great sound design. We've got um, Nick Cave and Warren Ellis doing music that is absolutely of a piece mm. with the film. Everything to recommend the film. I came out of it more admiring it than loving it. Yeah, I think there's just something, and as I said, I, I was really struggling with what to say about it, to be honest, but there's just something missing, mm. and I can't quite place what it was, that I think that it's a shame there's, a, there's that something that isn't there that would elevate it from good to great. And it, isn't it funny that we've come to this position as well, when, when like there's all this subtext to the movie, right? There's all this subtext about the, the current state of the financial markets and the way yeah. that people have been disempowered, and the way that they're trying to fight back and find some kind of, you know... Um, stability well, for their that, families again, and again I think for the most part that works well Excellent. that's, that's another thing to recommend it, I mean, the, scene, the scene for example Paul where the locals fight back when the bank robbery goes wrong yeah. and it's locals chasing them down a street in their you know SUVs and so on opening fire on the criminals who are trying to get away and it's a, a lovely little comment on the state of our society and, the, and where we live right now at mm. least in, in a sort of extreme example of that in a you know gun-toting American environment however yeah as I've just said and I'll reiterate like I think both of us sort of feel the same it's to be admired whether it's going to get on an end of year list I'm, I'm not sure no and I think that's a shame because I think there is there's potential for something great there and what we got didn't quite meet that expectation no but you know right now I think it's really important that you um just don't breathe because what we're going to go into is our review of the hold on let me guess Blair Witch Blair Witch we get your... no no oh no don't breathe it's don't, it's don't breathe you, you've got it yeah although Blair Witch um I you know I won't talk about we'll maybe talk about it later but it's somewhat to be recommended as well surprisingly so but don't breathe this was the film that I had as my coming attraction on our very last show very excited I had and a lot it did have good frankly, things a fucking awesome trailer right that means that we're going to have to uh, put an explicit content warning on this episode <laughs> Paul no I think we've already we've already got there to be fair <laughs> so um, yeah don't breathe we set it up last time but Fede Alvarez the director we both know him because he did a fairly good job of remaking Evil yeah. Dead a couple of years ago Agreed. apart from that oh he's working on the sequel to that too the sequel to the okay. Evil Dead remake uh, which is interesting to note. Also, the lead in this... Th well, the lead, that's not accurate. 
the the central character or the central threat in Don't Breathe is Stephen played by Stephen Lang, who is the Colonel in Major McBadass from Avatar. Avatar. Yes, um, and that was a yeah a deep cut that we both had to figure out through IMDb really. Although I think you had a hunch coming out of it that it might be that guy, right? Uh, what's the setup on this one? It's pretty pretty different, I would say. It's a very different film to Hello High Water. Yes, um, the, the 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 premise to this is you've got this group of sort of late teens who start robbing houses one guy's dad works for the security company so they do over houses and they get in quite easily and get access that way they hear about this kind of this blind war veteran who's apparently got all this money stashed away as compensation and they break into his house in short they break into his house and they didn't really know who they were fucking with there's another there's another f-bomb for you. there we go uh, but i think that's that i think Two that's an appropriate sentiment one. so they break into the guy's house, yeah, and although he's blind, he's something of a badass. Not only is he a war veteran, but he's also a war veteran who is uh, is grieving the loss of his daughter, yes. who was sort of the central love in his life, um, who was hit by a reckless driver. That reckless driver has had to pay, or the family of, have paid compensation to this guy, so the attraction for these ne'er-do-wells is that they know or think, suspect, that he's sitting on a load of money. Yeah, they want to get in there. They want to get the money, and they think this guy being blind is going to go down okay. How difficult can that possibly be? Quite difficult, it turns out. Fairly difficult because it all goes wrong fairly early on, right? It does. It goes on. It goes wrong fairly early on, and then what we get then is some fairly effective horror moments, to be honest. Um, but much like Hell or High Water, there's something that just didn't quite twig for me in what, Don't Breathe. What is it for you, though? Because I don't know if we have the same take on this one, maybe similar, but what was it for you that didn't work? Because you're someone that, you know, I know for a fact you like a lot of horror movies, you've watched a ton of horror, so going to something like this, you're looking for certain things. What was it that it lacks that you wanted or what was there that you didn't want? I just, I, I think from the kind of the trailer and I think I got, got carried away with the hype a little bit and the people going, oh, it's the best horror film of the last three million years or whatever. Um, and I think I got kind of carried along with the hype because I thought the trailer was, was really good. And I just, I don't know. I think it just felt, I think my biggest issue, my biggest issue to start with is it was very hard to have sympathy with the main characters when they've broken into a blind old grieving man's house. Mm. So from the outset, I, I struggled to feel sorry for these kids being terrorised and almost thought for a lot of the film that we're not on not everything that happens to them it takes a bit of a twist which you won't ruin but not I didn't think they deserved everything that happened to them necessarily but a lot of what he did to them I sat there and thought well you had this coming yeah. I, and I don't really like these characters at all and that from the outset if you haven't got sympathy with the characters then you're going to struggle to relate I mean that's me dropping a notepad yeah. uh, profesh but uh, in, in the film's defence on that particular point they do do something of a job of setting up some backstory because um, the character played by Jane Levy who was um, in what were we saying before help me out here Paul Evil Dead thank you the protagonist from Evil Dead the remake for the Alvarez previous film um her character has given this backstory where she's sort of the person responsible for caregiving for a younger sister in her house. She wants to get out of the place which they are in, which is Michigan. Now, we know about Michigan. This is the place where General Motors died and the town is now a load of disused factories, people with no jobs, high drug use, high unemployment and so on. So you can see that what she wants more than anything is to do whatever it takes to get out of that environment, go to California or wherever she's dreaming of. Um, and make a start for herself again with her younger sister, possibly. So th there's some reason to root for her, but you're right. You don't automatically go, think, oh, okay, I go rob I think people. the issue is they obviously came up with the idea of 
wouldn't it be cool if we had this blind guy and people were in his house and then they, he, he was stalking them even though they, they couldn't he couldn't see them and they've gone uh, how do we get them in the house mm. oh well they break in mm. and that's where I think a lot of it it's, I said I didn't much like Hello High Water I didn't hate it by any stretch it yeah. was an enjoyable piece of horror hokum yeah yeah. <laughs> I, I mean I, I think I I think I stopped short of loving this for a slightly different reason I think that for me, the f- sort of first half of the movie was very, um, I thought, pretty economically set up. In Yeah, it's a contrivance, of course, but mm. to get those people into that house, into a situation where you think, wow, yeah, this is pretty compelling, and it's mm. a fairly simple idea, but it's pretty compelling. And there are real moments of, like, in the first half of this movie, I was holding my temples. I, I felt like, at, at one point, I-, I-, I got the thought that it's sort of like 60-minute um, abs, you know, when you get so tense that you're going to walk out of the movie with a six pack because you've just been I'll working. To be honest with you, I've never had that feeling. <laughs> no, you've already the got idea, the six pack. The idea, of, yeah, the idea, the idea of sixty minute abs terrifies me more than don't breathe. It. <laughs> but yeah, I, I thought it was concisely set up. My problem is, and I, I'm not going to spoil anything. My problem is the last third of the movie they throw too many elements at the wall and not enough of them stick. And I think that it has that problem that an awful lot of genre films do where it doesn't quite know where to end. And mm. so it's dragged on just a little bit too far where you're, the tension is dissipating. You've yeah. kind of lost me a little bit and now you're just, like, it's just jump it's scares. Like jump, and, end, jump, jump scare, is it credits, is it credits, jump scare, is it credits, is it... And a lot of films actually would just be like, boom, go to black. I, yeah. love, I love horror films that end like that. And it's the final girl or the final guy, yeah. but instead of what you expect us to do, which is them to you know run off into the distance, we're going to add in one more element yeah. and then one more and one more. And it's like, we didn't need that. Take 10 minutes off the runtime here, mm. perhaps 15. It's a pretty concise film anyway. Do that, and I think you've got this really effective thing. And take out one plot element, which I won't spoil, but you've hinted at before with a sort of twist. Mm. Take that out entirely. I don't think it was yeah. necessary. I don't think it added too much. It was a bit overblown particularly in the modern climate with yeah. those stories being a yeah. real thing. So, yeah, I sort of come down, again, I feel a bit boring saying I pretty much agree with you. I think we could disagree <laughs> yeah. a bit more, but as a sort of three out of five, perhaps three and a half. Yeah, it's enjoyable enough. You know, there are, you know, there are certainly well-made elements to it, but again, not It's not, not like when, when we reviewed It Follows, it's not had that impact on no. it. No. Right. And that's kind of what I was expecting. I think I was expecting maybe it for it to be like this is it follows or mm. the Babadook or that kind of thing. And uh, no, it, it wasn't that fun. Certainly, um, and genre fans, you know, there is still there is still a lot to like, but not not one of the greats. So features are finished, both of them double feature. Little jaded, but we're going to watch the credits roll, and we're going to stay to the very end because you know what the likes of you and I do, Paul. We're the kind of people who sit in the cinema and watch all the credits because we want to see the five hundred people who are responsible for yeah. the film get their dues. And we also want to give credit to a couple of things this week. Um, I'm going to kick us off with giving credit to... I did protest, listeners, but he still wants to give credit <laughs> it's to himself. Through. It's so. getting through. And, and Paul's quite tired, so he's quite malleable. <laughs> so I've decided to give credit to myself. Now, the, the reason for this is that is always important. You should love yourself. Uh, not too much. <laughs> not in that way. But the reason I'm going to give credit to myself is because as I talked about earlier in this podcast I went to see the screening special screening of Nick Cave's movie One More Time With Feeling and when I was sat in my seat waiting for the the film to roll the trailers played letterboxed in the middle of the screen tiny tiny letterboxed which they would have started doing but not always in the middle of the screen and I did challenge them on it and they said that's just the way they do it that's what they say to everything I know and then uh, 
So I was a bit concerned and I get anxious. You know, I think, Paul, you're a little bit like me on this. I get this feeling in my stomach where I'm like, oh, I can't relax. Nothing is good here. I'm not going to enjoy this film because they're going to make a mistake. So they start to play the actual feature for which everyone has play, uh, paid an uplift on their ticket price because it's a special musical attraction or whatever. And the camera or the, the projection, I should say, pulls out only so much as to leave a thick black line at the bottom of the screen and big chunky black sections either side. Now, this film is not shot in full cinema ratio, I understand that, but it hadn't been pulled out fully. So, being that we're in England, everyone sat in silence and didn't want to say anything. We've had this experience, we talked about it before, we yeah, went to Ray 2, two. Jesus, no one said anything. Yeah. And so... I saw one guy out. Uh, one guy go out. Excuse me. I couldn't trust him to do the job that needed specialist information. So I followed him out. I asked him if he'd done anything. He said, "Oh, it turns out it's a three D film. We need three D glasses." And I thought, "You bless you." And uh, so I went and found a guy. He found a manager. The manager went upstairs, wherever that mystical land is, and um, he changed and fixed this problem. Afterwards, in asking the cinema about that, they said, well, actually, like you've just said, we've got no control over the settings and it just plays how it does. The funny thing is, if you've got no control, how are you able to fix it upstairs? Also, they have a screen, screen four. Cineworld Cheltenham have screen four. This is very niche. Screen four is always in the wrong bloody aspect ratio. There's always massive black letterbox bars down it. And do you know why that is? Because the manufacturer that makes their curtains can't get curtains to cover the sides of the screens anymore. That is not an excuse anywhere. It's ridiculous. Get a new screen. Now, now the reason I'm crediting myself isn't just to go like, oh, aren't I great for that one isolated incident? It is really to champion this cause. For anyone who is geeky enough about films to listen to this tiny little corner of the internet <laughs> for like an hour every couple of weeks, I compel you, if you go to a film and it is not being projected to correctly, if the sound's wrong, we've had buzz in the subwoofer before, there's all kinds of little problems. Or screen one in Cineworld, <laughs> the air conditioning is quite often louder than the film. Right. Which I right. haven't raised with them yet, but I will be soon. You are a paying customer, you're paying for a service. Cinema screenings of films are dying in so many places. Cinemas are being closed down. Cinemas have a responsibility to offer a good service. If no one speaks up, British people we're speaking to you in particular, <laughs> then nothing's going to change. So please, please, as I say, I compel you, be Paul, be myself, be the guy to leave the cinema and complain and get this stuff fixed. Call people to task on it. Take it home, Paul. We've got another credit to give, I think, this week. We have got another credit to give, and slightly a more maudlin note than our it sort of seems petty cinema concerns. Um, is the recent death of the celebrated director Curtis Hanson, mm. um, who I certainly will always remember fondly for making. It's a film that I often forget about when I can sort of come up with top ten film lists, but every time I watch it, it just blows me away again. In her shoes. LA Confidential. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, well, I've I heard, that horribly. I have heard In Her Shoes is, is rather good. But no, Curtis Hanson, director of LA Confidential, 8 Mile, In Her Shoes, The River Wild. Yeah, um, on and on. I, mean, I think there um, are 17 IMDb, IMDb credits for, for directorial work anyway. So not the longest list, but some really important films mm. in there, I think. And yeah, I mean... Even just that one that you mentioned, like LA Confidential, I think had a huge. Even if he just made one film and it was LA Confidential, we'd still be sitting here owing him credit for just LA Confidential alone. But Eight Mile, I thought was was solid in her shoes. Is supposed to be very good. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so just yeah, just a very brief. Yeah, set seventy-one years of age. Rest, I think, in, rest in peace, Curtis Hanson. Rest yeah. in peace, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
nothing more to say on that really. and with that that brings us to the end of the show yeah um, it's been a pleasure again being here with you Paul in front of the mic and um, we're going to do another one soon actually maybe sooner than you might expect we're actually both whisking ourselves away to glamorous Basingstoke uh, over the weekend coming and we will be putting some stuff together from Exit 6 Film Festival run by um, both Mark Brennan and uh, Carl well, by, the, by the time this goes out it probably would have been on Give me Carl's surname before he murders me. Carl Austin. Carl Austin, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, Mark Brennan and Carl Austin. And amongst others. Yeah, the guys that people. we've actually had yeah. on the podcast before, if we go all the way back to the Avengers Assemble podcast, look that one up, it was a good one. So hopefully we'll get a chance to sit down and have a little chit-chat yeah, with those guys. Podcast, You're yeah. absolutely right, I stand corrected. Yes, we'll have a chat with them if you know they can squeeze us in. They've been very gracious in sort of letting us come along to, to cover that. But the even if we can't grab those guys, we'll certainly talk. A probably feature will probably be about, I imagine, about the film festival Yeah, yeah. Uh, in some capacity. The, so. the guys have, have worked incredibly hard to get this thing off the ground. It's going to be the first iteration this, this coming weekend. And by the time we record the next podcast, it will be in our recent past. So we'll definitely let you know all about how that went and anything that came up that was interesting, shorts and, and so on that we showed there. Uh, looking forward to that a lot and yeah I suppose it's enough for me to say um, goodbye from me and goodbye from me see you next time